Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2018. It was a big summer. I had been invited by the National Association of Black Journalists to moderate and host their opening tech plenary session. For those of you that don't know, that is their big opening session, a 90-minute live show full of panels, keynotes, and other discussions like fireside chats. I was billed to co-host with Lindsay Davis, who would actually be one of the interviewers during that session. And despite a wardrobe malfunction earlier that day had made me a little late to dress rehearsal, it was a good time. I was invited to a few events that summer, one of which you may recall from my conversations with the president of Lane College was the NBC Universal private dinner that was typically thrown by Ryan Williams at the time who was the marketing director at NBC Universal. And there was another event. Jack Daniels hosted a dinner to honor Natasha S. Alford. At the time, she was the lead editor at The Grio. I knew Natasha. They're a group of girlfriends and I that get together pretty much every NABJ to take a selfie or two and hang out at the final party. Natasha that year was able to bring home the Emerging Journalist of the Year Award. I was always fascinated by Natasha. She is a go-getter, but she is the most down-to-earth person that you want to meet. And she's still that down-to-earth, although she has been promoted to Vice President of Digital Content at The Grio, which is now owned by Byron Allen Media. I want you to meet Natasha. If you haven't met her before, she is amazing. And she is an amazing storyteller. She tells her own stories. And she also tells that of people of color, black and brown. Without further ado, I want to introduce to you Natasha S. Alford, also known as the People's Journalist and the Millennial Media Executive. She's also... Vice President of Digital Content at The Grio. I'm so excited to have the People's Journalist with us on today. And you know what? She's my sister friend. Her name is Natasha Alford. Natasha, how are you? I am amazing. Thank you so much for having me on, Michelle. You are the best. And oh, no, I- you are the best. I just love you to death. And you know, it's been a while since I've seen you. Let's go all the way back to, well, it was before Miami, because I didn't see you in Miami. It was the year before at NABJ. Yeah, the time flies. So, yeah, 2018, NABJ. And it was the year that, you know, we had a lot to celebrate that year. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you had a lot to celebrate. And everybody was celebrating you. 
So we went to a dinner, happened to be one that was honoring you. And my agency was hosting it at the time for a totally different client. And I got to see you there. We took some pictures and all. But that year, you took home Journalist of the Year, which was oh. awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, they named me Emerging Journalist of the Year. And it's just incredible because, first of all, Black people are just talented, period. But yeah. when you talk about media and journalism, there's so many people who are doing great things um, for the culture. And so it's just an honor whenever you receive an award like that because you know that there are, you know, five other people who could be right up there with you in that moment. So I just, I was uh, truly humbled and appreciative of the opportunity and have been building and busy ever since. Yeah, and you know, you have really brought the griot a long way. I remember when it kind of appeared on social media, when everybody kind of appeared on social media, and it was one of the go-to sources for sure in your Twitter and Facebook feeds to get black news, but now it's so much more. Yeah, well, thank you for that. It's it's been a journey for us. Um, the Grio, some people don't know, but we are a black-owned media company. Mm-hmm. So Byron Allen, a media mogul who is the owner of Entertainment Studios and the Weather Channel, acquired the Grio. The Grio started at NBC, went independent, and then found a new home with Byron Allen. So through all that transition, you know, there was a lot of change. Um, and yeah, we are, our dream, our vision is to make it the go-to destination for, for black news and storytelling, quality yeah. storytelling. So that's what we've been investing in. Well, it's fantastic. But you know, we, before we get too deep into this conversation, what do you think we have a culture soup moment? I think it's time. Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So Natasha. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> like, you can't get around it. You know what I mean? Ooh, and everywhere yeah, you turn. I'm, I'm in, a, in a, a sweatshirt and hoodie right now. Look, look. A pandemic. I'm working from home. It's been more than 30 days. Yeah, and, and you got to be okay with it. You, you just have to be good with it. You've been through a lot. And, you know, one of the hashtags that's circulating that will not stop, stop is hashtag coronavirus or hashtag COVID-19. But there's something to this disease that's hitting black folks and Latinos more than anyone the numbers are saying and you guys are looking into it at the griot right that's right so you know every day uh we made sure that as soon as coronavirus arrived in the U.S. right we knew that we had to look out for our community and to tell our stories and we've been keeping a running list of stories of black families who have lost loved ones Mm. to coronavirus. And it's just heartbreaking. Every day there's a new obituary. And really beyond any particular age group you see from young people to old people. So it's just really um, hitting close to home. And we are basically being validated in a lot of ways because when you work for a Black outlet and you talk about racism, you know, a lot of people gaslight you and they say that it's not real, uh, that we should be over it. And the numbers just go to show Mm -hmm. the disparity is baked into the DNA of this country. And that is why you're seeing these disproportionate deaths for this supposed great equalizer, which we see, you know, is not an equalizer. It's just it's just so sad. And so many of us have had close brushes. You've had one. It's pretty uncomfortable. Close for comfort, wouldn't you say? You were at an event and so many people were right before the, the stay at home orders happened across the United States where everybody thought everything was okay, and then you get home and you get a call or an email. 
Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, people were talking about coronavirus in the news, but no one had really rung the alarm that we should not be out and about. So I went to a media conference where I was a panel, uh, a panelist. Mm -hmm. And of course, you talk to people, you, sh you know, you shake hands. Obviously, we were a little more conservative than usual. But we got a notice that someone at that conference had tested positive for mm. coronavirus. Obviously, thoughts and concerns went out to them immediately, but then you think, well, they didn't release the name, so I don't know, did I come into contact? Yeah. Uh, I also, I have lupus, right. um, which disproportionately impacts African-American women, and so that meant that, you know, my immune system made me part of the vulnerable population, wasn't feeling too well, mm. so I went in and I got a test after, you know, more than a couple hours wait uh, and really just anxiety-filled experience, I was very uncomfortable. If yeah. you've seen this thing on TV, you see they stick, a, you know, the swab all the way back as far as it can go in your head yeah. on both sides. Oh. Um, but despite the, you know, this discomfort, I, I was blessed to have the test come out negative. Good. And, um, yeah, have been, you know, under quarantine ever since. But... It was very scary, and yeah. it's something that a lot of people are experiencing right now across the country and around the world. You're so interested in so many other people's stories, too, and how businesses are being impacted. I wanted to talk to you about the series that the GRIO is doing right now about Black businesses when it comes to COVID-19. Yes, so we have partnered with Facebook Watch and we released a series about how Black businesses are surviving COVID-19, right? Because we know that when America, uh, they say, gets a cold, you know, Black America catches the flu. Yes. There's always that analogy that we get it worse. And it's true. Many Black business owners have said that they did not get any of that PPP money mm -hmm. uh, that was meant to, you know, help with payroll protection. Uh, the, folks, we are overrepresented in fields like uh, health and beauty, you know, hair and beauty, excuse right. me. Um, and, and so barbershops are shut down, right? We're overrepresented in uh, the restaurant industry mm -hmm. and you can't sit down and go somewhere to eat. So what are these black entrepreneurs supposed to do? Uh, so the Grio, uh, it's a four part series where we look at four different industries, beauty, food. Uh, the next one coming up is going to be the gig economy. You know, all yeah. of our Uber drivers and Lyft drivers who were already trying to make a living doing right. that now seeing their, you know, business kind of ground to a halt. Um, and yeah, it's it's a very important series. It's a necessary series. And we are unapologetic about the fact that we're focusing on black business because, Good. yes, all businesses are affected. But when we come out of this, there's a greater chance that our businesses will not be reopening, um, you know, at a higher rate than other businesses. Well, and what are you hearing? Because I know there are those who are saying they didn't get the PPP because it, it ran out, first of all. But second mm -hmm. of all, you had these big businesses out there taking advantage of it. Some of them have returned, but still. <laughs> yeah, they knew better. <laughs> yeah, that kind of puts us on the short end of the stick. But I wonder, because I've had this mm -hmm. feeling. I don't really trust the process. They say that it's going to be forgiven. Do we trust that? Do you find that there are people out there that just don't trust the process enough to even apply? Oh, 100%. I mean, the, the fact that the money ran out in 14 days, think about if you're just trying to navigate red tape, you're trying to survive, you were trying to get your paperwork together, and then you hear that the money has mm -hmm. already run out. Uh, we spoke with business owners like Ben's Chili Bowl yeah. and, you know, the famed uh, location in Washington, D.C., who had not heard about 
their PPP uh, application. And then after a lot of press, all of a sudden it was magically approved. Wow. They got their loan approved, right? So um, it just goes to show that we sometimes have to apply pressure mm -hmm. and, you know, things don't happen just because they're supposed to happen. Uh, there are other businesses, uh, Conjo Ethiopian Food uh, is one restaurant in Denver, Colorado. They were one of the first Ethiopian food trucks to open in that mm -hmm. area. And they applied and they didn't hear anything back. So there's just a lot of people in this waiting mode and it's understandable why they fear that it's not going to come through. Yeah, and well, honestly, a lot of these banks are a little bit confused on the process too, as I understand mm -hmm. it. So they're trying to get yeah. their ducks in a row. Exactly. And the, you know, we did an interview with the president of the U.S. Black Chamber, Ron Busby, and he was just talking about how traditionally the relationship with banks, these mm -hmm. big banks in the black community, hasn't been good to begin exactly. with. Exactly. Right? We're, we're denied um, loans. Uh, we often, you know, are treated differently because of our credit. And so you already have this foundation of mistrust. And so in a crisis, when fear and anxiety is even higher, uh, it makes sense why, you know, that, that, that distrust, that mistrust still prevails. Okay. Well, tell everybody how they can watch it. We know it's Facebook Live, but when is it on and how do you catch it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's every Tuesday. And it's on Facebook Watch. Watch. So you can just right. go to the Grio's page on Facebook. Just look up the Grio. That's G-R-I-O, no T. And you will see it pinned at the top of our page. So awesome. every Tuesday. And yeah, we're, we're excited. And your support means a lot. Like partnering with an organization as big as Facebook yeah. is a pretty big deal. It that's is. the intersection of tech and media. Mm -hmm. And showing them that Black stories do get views do get, you know, a uh, conversation going, uh, that is important. That's so good. Every view counts. That's awesome. You know, we've all watched Red Table Talk, and that's done really, really well, but I'd love yeah. to see some other Black shows do well. Exactly. Right. And show that, you know, we it, there's a range. We have range now. Yes. We can do pop culture. We can talk Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce in one breath, and in the next, we can talk about businesses and entrepreneurship and uh, there's room for all of it. Now, you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of award you get for this. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, that would be, you know, that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, certainly, we, we are open to all those types of blessings. But I have to say the entrepreneurs who were featured, you know, just hearing them say thank you for sharing my story, yeah. um, for for showing that like we're not forgotten, you know, that makes that makes the work worth it. Right. In the middle of a pandemic, right? Yeah. Because we're going through this with our families too. We're recording and, you know, doing things from home without the normal resources that we have. So um, yeah, hustling for these stories, it, it, it's worth it in the end. Yeah. So Natasha, you gotta tell the people your story. You didn't just start. You've been at this for a while. And now you're the vice president of digital content at the Grio, which is not anything to sneeze at. And I remember seeing you going on what could have been a junket, a press junket with Byron Allen. And you were yeah. interviewing him along the way. And I remember looking at that and going, ooh, she's about to pop. She's about <laughs> to blow up now. I mean, you were already big. But then you got promoted. And it's such a well-deserved honor. Thank How did you so get here much. from there? 
it was a journey. Um, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously grateful for, you know, any opportunity to grow in my career. Um, listen, I think what I will tell people is one, um, this, this journey and kind of like finding, uh, finding what you love to do. There will be many failures that are part of the process. Mm-hmm. That's how you get to where you are. I didn't go into journalism until five years after I graduated college. You know, it took me five years to just kind of get the clarity to be like, actually, this is what I was put on earth to do. Mm -hmm. I did other jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked at a hedge fund, uh, the world's largest institutional hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates, and learned a ton there, um, but just didn't really feel connected to the work. Mm -hmm. You know, I really felt like this was not uh, using my God-given talents. Then I went into education, you know, with the intention of serving and changing my community. And that was an incredible and transformative experience. But that was one of those, you know, am I doing this because people say I'm good at it and I should do it? Or is this like actually what I want to do for the rest of my life? And so having the courage to walk away from that, you know, at 27, when people are going to grad school or settling down and be like, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to go into an industry where they're not paying well, you know, there's no guarantee that I'm going to succeed and I'm just going to do it. And and so that was the journey. It was getting closer and closer to finding my voice, ignoring the voices that didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, many of them in my head mm-hmm. uh, telling me what I should do. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then ultimately going into media, I actually, I started as a TV news reporter. So I was in the more traditional kind of broadcast, yes. you know, out uh, in the field covering crime scenes and doing all that. Um, learned a ton from that. But really, it's it's the Grio, mm-hmm. this digital news brand which was, you know, just really, it was in a transitional stage. There, we were working out of a co-working space and, you know, they had downsized the staff significantly. And you can walk into a situation and it not be perfect yeah. and you want to get out because you're like, oh, this is not, you know, I, this is not what I thought it was going to be. But you have to see the opportunity yes. in that, you know? And so I saw opportunity at the Grio, and I just I stuck it out and did not know that Byron Allen would acquire us that you year, right? Knew. And so, if I had moved too soon, I would have missed my blessing in terms of you know connecting with this particular businessman and kind of understanding his vision for media and building at the Grio so that I could be in a position to then lead the brand. Yeah. Um. So yeah, positioning, patience. Um, working hard, you know, that, that was really what the past four plus years have been about and, um, putting people first, the stories that I tell, I think that is, that's what's continued to kind of drive the journalism. And now that I'm leading the brand and leading other journalists, uh, every day, that's what grounds will be do, you know? So it's not about clickbait. It's, it's not about, you know, uh, media that people forget, but it's about making media that people remember media that makes a difference. And so, uh, it is very, I love it. I wake up every day and, and I love being able to work with a team of journalists and storytellers who, who are just really incredible people and have that same vision. Um, so yeah, it's great. That's awesome. And you know what? I got a shout out because you, you, you highlighted a few things that are so important to a leadership model, not just for brands, but for individuals. And you know, I'm a certified coach. So I'm always about the executive coaching and the business (laughs) coaching. So let's pull this out right quick. What you described was running to the risk. When you see an opportunity that looks a little mm, suspect, but it actually needs somebody to come in to build or fix. 
and you ran to the risk. That's a transformational leader. And that's what I you are. I love that phrase. <laughs> yes. I love that phrase. Yeah, I'm a risk runner. That's yes. <laughs> And you know what? You have to be there at the time when the change happens. Because change that's happens right. two ways. Yeah, and you have to stick it out. Yes. Because, you know, there were many, there were hard, hard days. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a lot of um, transition and... I, I will say that's what my previous like career stops have taught mm-hmm. me how to endure mm-hmm. organizational change because some people can't take it. They can't handle change. Yeah. It frustrates them. They take it personally. Um, they don't know how to endure or again, they lose sight of the opportunity that is still in front of them. Right. And so, um, yeah, sticking it out, making mistakes, you know, not being defined by those mistakes, all of those things I think helped but running towards the risk is big. And sometimes people want to win without the sacrifice. Yes, ma'am. You know, they want to win with, with like no skin off their back. And it's like, nope, you're going to, you're going to make some sacrifices, yes. but in the end it will come. Together. Absolutely. There's another thing I want to shout out. You talked about consistency and great storytelling, not just with brands, but also with people. That's what inspires people and draws people to you. When you're able mm. to tell inspiring stories that actually impact the world and not just yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Oh man, that's amazing. And if anyone sees me or my team's work in that way, that's like the ultimate compliment, right? Um, And and that's another thing I try to, I now am at the stage where I have mentees Mm -hmm. and they don't see the immediate gratification and they ask, am I doing something wrong? Mm -hmm. And it's no, you're not doing anything wrong. Just keep planting those seeds. You tell one good story, that person will go and tell 10 people that you did a great job yeah. and you may not have the same platform as, you know, a CNN, right? But those 10 people will tell someone else who tells someone else and you build your own audience, yes. right? Then that audience is leveraged for you. Yes. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to, to start small. And you're so right to have your heart and soul in it because if, oh, yeah. if you're people disconnected from your work, you don't have a purpose, Oh, yeah. And someone People asked the me, they're like, how'd you get up to the ranks in, in Apple Podcasts and Business News? And I was like, you know what? First of all, it wasn't my goal. My goal was to do consistently good work. And it just happened. Right. And sometimes we just have to be willing, right? Absolutely. You said it. It's doing the work. And um, again, it, it's so easy to focus on the position, right? It, it's the same way that, you know, we... You can think about college like this or, or anything. We think that a certain brand, if we associate ourselves with that, it will position us. But if you actually do the work, you draw energy towards yes. you. You draw people towards you. Uh, you draw that success where you are, and then you can go wherever you want. Yes, ma'am. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's part of the journey. <laughs> You have been the model of this, and I just love watching your story unfold. One thing that you've done is that you have just been brave about sharing you authentically, whether you're, um, you know, in the Caribbean at Carnival, whether <laughs> oh, you're yeah, back home. Oh, yeah, there's pictures out there at Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, though. And you were, you're sharing stories about being Black and Latino. And I say it like that for a reason. I have a friend who is um, black and Latino. And one day I said, you're Afro-Latino. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Don't say that. I was like, did I say something wrong? (laughs) 
Oh yeah, everyone's in a different place yes. when it comes to how they feel about identity, what they want to be called. It's it's a really interesting time, but yeah, no, let's talk about let's it. Let's go for it. So why did you feel the need that you needed to talk about being Black and Latino? Was it just that people just weren't used to the idea that you could be both? Yeah, so um, I this started selfishly as a personal journey, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I was in college, I would say, yeah, I was about college age and I was writing a thesis and I decided to focus that thesis on um, Afro-Puerto Rican female rappers, mm. right? Because it was just all this intersection of we are not seen. You know, when people think of Latina, they think of J-Lo, right? right? They think of Shakira. There's a certain look. Right. But people like me, I didn't see us represented. So I went into a, a kind of academic research mode mm-hmm. to try to find answers around this. And then eventually it became like a reporting uh, block for me. It became a re- reporting beat that I was like, let me tell these stories of my own community. But um, to your question, yeah, I think, or even the separation of Black and Latino as if they're completely different is it's not uh, reflective of history, right? Right. Like the Latino, when you think of uh, that terminology, things that you would consider part of Latin culture, the music, the food, all of that is influenced by Africa. Mm -hmm, Africa mm -hmm. contributed to that. So there's no Latinidad without blackness, right? right? But I think the term black, a lot of people associate with black American culture or African-American culture, which is a specific community and group, which I actually belong to also. Mm -hmm. My my dad is African-American. So, um, because of that, like cultural pride, national pride, you know, there are many uh, Latinos who they believe that their national identity supersedes anything. So if I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. I'm, I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. They're not thinking in terms of race mm-hmm. and the way that we think of race right. in the United States, because right. we have a very we have a history of segregation and institutional racism that was very explicit about keeping groups separate. Um, so we just, it, it's so much to unpack that, uh, it deserves books. It deserves conversations. It deserves podcasts. It deserves videos. And that was part of why I put myself in the story. And I was like, Hey, you know, as I'm figuring this out, I'm going to share how I'm learning about my own identity, but also how others are talking about it. And so, um, wrote a story for the New York times, uh, wrote a couple stories in the guardian ended up getting a grant through the Pulitzer Center. Awesome. Um, And yeah, I have all of these stories about Afro-Latinx life. But I just keep emphasizing that this is just one perspective, my perspective, uh, when I share my story. And also we're just scratching the surface because we've been ignored for so long Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of people don't even know their own history. Right, right. And you were just recently on NPR. Yes, yes, I was uh, talking about the story I did around the census and how black Puerto Ricans in particular decide what they are Mm. on the census. And for years, the census in Puerto Rico have been has been saying that the island was majority white. Wow. And we just know that that's not possible. Right. So so what is the psychology behind choosing white when you're not actually white? Right. Is it motivated by politics? Is it motivated by self-hatred? Is it motivated by assimilation or is it a kind of a radical challenging of whiteness? These are all questions uh, that I kind of sought to answer through the story. And I profiled these black Puerto Rican women 
who are asking people to check black on the census. Mm. They started this whole campaign. So it's just, it's really radical. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people only think of Latinos in the sense of they deny their blackness, but I chose to focus on people who embrace their black right. blackness and were rallying others to, to love the, the, their black skin, their black culture, you know, their, their black heritage, uh, because it disrupts the, the narrative. Totally. And that's, that's what it's all about. Totally. That's all so good. Now you guys have gotten into podcasting. Yes. The Grio has a podcast now. Yes. Tell me about it. We, so, uh, the Grio's flagship podcast is called Dear Culture. And, you know, we call it like a love letter to the culture. Okay. Every week we look at some aspect of what's happening in the news as it relates to our culture. And we have incredible guests who are leaders, thought leaders, um, you know, influencers in our culture who also address issues. So recently we had Soledad O'Brien talking about the media as it relates to the black community. Damon John from Shark yeah. Tank talking about power shifting and embracing your own power and not like yielding your power to people when you shouldn't be mm -hmm. giving it away. Um, we had Tressie McMillan Cottom. She's a sociology professor. And she talked about the idea of hustling and how black people have had to hustle and improvise through pandemic. We talked about black AF, yeah. you know, culture soup, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a hotly debated topic. Wow. So, you can always come to our podcast expecting that whatever is, you know, most pressing uh, in Black America in different arenas, we're going to unpack it and you'll learn something new. You're doing it all. How do you, how do you, <laughs> you said staying busy <laughs> is helping you during this time. That's for sure. But my goodness, this is a slowdown <laughs> and it doesn't sound slow. No, it's, it's a weekly podcast on top of a, a, a Facebook partnership series on top of just the news that we cover on top of my inbox of thousands of emails that I need to open. It's a lot. It's a lot, but what a time to be alive, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to literally do as much as I can until I can't do it anymore. So uh, obviously self-care and rest is very important. And with having a chronic illness like lupus, mm -hmm. it requires me to do so. So that is my, uh, you know, kind of thorn in the side that will always be there reminding me to, you know, slow down and take a break. But there's a lot of work to do. And I think it's a privilege to be black, to be young and to be in media. Yeah. Man, like at this time, yeah. when we have social media just kind of disrupting everything. Yeah, we, we have to do this work. Absolutely. I tell anybody that it just has an inkling to do something, write a blog, do a podcast, whatever it is, do it. Just try it. What are you waiting for? What's the worst that could happen? And some of the most influential people now came from places who, you know, places where people said, oh, they'll never be yeah, X, Y, Z. Totally. You know, so, so, so much of it is how you see yourself and your willingness to hold on to, to that self awareness at all costs. Like, I think that's so key. That's so good. Natasha, where can people find you on social media and follow you? Oh, yeah. Catch up with me on, on the socials. I'm on uh, Instagram the most, to be honest. It's Natasha S. Alford. That's S as in Sam. And, yeah, it's the same on Twitter, Natasha S. Alford. And I also have a uh, work 
slash uh, business page on Facebook. Okay. But um, find me, message me. I get super busy. Obviously, I'm managing a team. You know, it's I'm not I'm not an influencer. Like I don't see myself in that way. I really am in a media executive, yeah. a millennial media executive. So um, I have work to do, but I, I really try to engage with people and. Uh, it's a great way to, to send me your story or tell us what's going on, you know, in your world. So that way we can connect on the grill. And y'all, she's telling the truth. If you email her, she answers. If you text her, <laughs> she answers. She's the real one. It'll take a while, but I do. Yes, yeah, she's the real one. <laughs> Natasha, you guys have any more projects you want to share that are coming up? Oh, yeah. Look, look out for us in June. That's Black Music Month. So, you know, we have some some good content coming up around that and once this uh, coronavirus quarantine is over and travel becomes safe again we will get back to publishing a lot of the great travel content that we were working on uh shout out to south africa you know i went to south africa for the first time in my life wow. and it was just a transformative experience i have more content that's sitting you know that needs to come out for that uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Caribbean. So, um, but yeah, we have more travel content. And if you're an influencer, a writer, a Black creative, just reach out to us because we are building uh, and expanding our brand every day. Wonderful. Well, the Culture Soup is here for you. So you know where to yes. find me. You let me know. I would love to Absolutely. partner with the Grio. Whatever you guys need, we'll just support. Oh, your, your expertise and the depth of what you have to offer the community is just so there. Thank you. So, yeah, it's it's like uh, a no-brainer that we should partner, yeah. and, and we'll, we'll have to work together. That would be great. Natasha, you are phenomenal. My sister, love you. Thank you for yes, coming my on. Sister. Love you too. Stay safe, okay? You Take too. care of yourself and stay inside as long as you can. I know, that's Enjoy. right. Stay home. <laughs> Hashtag stay home. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Turn off this recorder. What an awesome conversation with Natasha S. Alford. She is the VP of Digital Content at The Grio, the People's Journalist, and the Millennial Media Executive. Okay, just a couple of announcements here. Don't forget to get your application in for the NSC Summer Cohort. It begins May 15th. Get your submission in by Friday, May 8th. You can go to elmichellesmith.com slash NSC Coaching Cohorts. And then find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.